Good morning, guys. It's uh, cool to be back here preaching this morning. Appreciate the opportunity. I love the uh, diversity of this team. I love the centrality of Jesus. Obviously, the the Word of God being spoken and preached, but love just the different emphasis and the different way it's preached and shared. And there's strength in team. God is about diversity, but He's also about unity. And I just love that I'm privileged with my wife to lead this great team with people from all different walks of life, different giftings, but united for the King and His kingdom. And so, love the team we're part of, and uh, yeah, love being part of this, and thank you again for hosting us and being here, Texans, y'all, y'all, all y'all, I'm learning, that's not in the Webster's Dictionary, just so you know how you speak. It's the Texan Dictionary. I need to get one of those. But uh, So, um, yeah, I was just contemplating what's been shared already this morning. I just love the whole emphasis Steve has made about Jesus again and even his example. How many of you know, if we want the world to see Jesus, we've got to act a lot more like Jesus? And he's been misrepresented by the church, if we can be honest. He's been obscured by the church, and we're not pointing fingers. We just need to fix it. We just need to be more like Jesus. And, uh, and he shared so wonderfully how we can be more like Jesus. And the world is not looking for a great church. They're looking for Jesus. Um, Texans have got some great churches here, but they're not seeing Jesus as much as they should be. And so it's our role, our responsibility to be better followers of Jesus. Um, statistics, and again, Steve told me they make them up, so I can just make it up as I go then. But uh, one statistic I recently heard that 70% of American uh, churchgoers consider themselves uh, um, fans of Jesus, not followers of Jesus. And if you look in the dictionary about what a fan is, it's an enthusiastic admirer. Guarantee in this room we are all enthusiastic about Jesus and we admire him, but that does not make you a follower. And if you look at Jesus when he taught, he was pretty radical. If we're going to be more like him, we've got to teach what he taught. He said, I don't want admirers. I don't want enthusiastic admirers. I want followers. In actual fact, if you're not willing to follow me, don't bother trying to follow me. And that sounds pretty radical, but actually he's looking for followers, not fans. And I do think we've got to get better at being followers of Jesus. I'm enthusiastic about him. And I'm telling you, I'm an admirer of Jesus, but that does not make me a follower. And we need followers, and followers who've laid down their lives to say, I'm following someone, not a system, not a religion, not a church, not a leader. I'm following Jesus. And it's in that place we're going to see the church, I think, better represent Jesus when we're actually following him. So the challenge to us is, are you following something or are you following someone? And that someone is Jesus. And so Steve helped us see we need pastors and leaders and church leaders to better represent Jesus so the church can better represent Jesus so the world can see Jesus. And so that's a great challenge. I think also just what Joel was saying and the challenge, he wasn't telling you all have to get up early and spend time with the Lord. Somewhere we've got to spend time with the Lord. But I love the emphasis on the morning. And some of us are as legal as if it's not. Give him your best. When are you at your best? And uh, some of you better at night. I understand that. You night people who like to drink coffee all day and whatever else. But, you know, I recently heard a guy speaking around that whole book of Exodus and where, you know, manna. And Steve made mention to manna and Joel talked about early morning. And 
Manna. Do you know the word manna is what is this? They said, what is it? But that's not what God called manna. God called it bread of heaven. And he spoke of it always as bread of heaven. And once he spoke it of an angel's food. He never said manna, what is it? They called it manna because they didn't know what it was. But he called it bread of heaven. And it's interesting when Jesus taught us how to pray, give us today our daily bread. I heard a guy recently speak around that and he said the interesting thing is that the manna was provided every single day. But because it was there, it didn't mean it was theirs until they went and got it. We often say, God, give me today my daily bread. But if you're not going to get it, you're not going to have it. The guarantee it's there, but you still got to go get it. The guarantee of the provision of God was there every day, but they still had to go out of their tents and get the manna and pick it up. And there was only enough for that day. If you took more, it was gone the next day. It was off. So it's the point being is that we've got to go get it rather than just say, give it to me. And that's why we've got to make time to go daily before the Father and take our daily bread so we can operate in what He's called us to, the anointing and everything else. And it's up to us, friends. It's there, the guarantee. But it's not going to fall into our laps. We've got to go every day and get it. And, and it's like those, those guys who went out to get the manna. They had to stoop down to pick it up. It's like getting on your knees before Him and getting your daily bread. That's not up to the leaders and the pastors of the church. That's up to every individual to have the privilege of getting your own bread for every single day. Bread of heaven, more of Jesus. I'm going to read uh, Psalm 32 and just two verses here. And I'm going to just read it out of the, the Passion Translation. So don't be offended, just listen. <laughs> Psalm 32 verse 8 and 9 says this. It says, I hear the Lord saying, I'll stay close to you instructing and guiding you along the pathway for your life. I will advise you along the way and lead you forth with my eyes as your guide. So don't make it difficult and don't be stubborn when I take you where you've not been before. Don't make me tug you and pull you along just come with me i will advise you i will guide you my eye will be your guide i'm watching over you i'm watching you and i'm watching where you're going but this i ask don't make me force and tug you just come with me as i take you where you've never been before and through this crazy season of COVID and shutdown and lockdown, honestly, it's been that text and many others, but this one that God really challenged me. He said, trust me, look to me, I will lead you and I'll guide you through this. But so often, friends, we can fight God and force Him to make us go. And, and God's not looking to force. He wants people to just trust Him and say, Lord, take me where you've called me to go. Breaking ground, new ground, requires us to trust God. Maybe it's not like it's been before. Maybe it's not, we've never seen it before. But we need to trust God and know He's in control. We can trust God. We can't trust anyone else. I mean, I love people. I love the church. I love ministry. I love pastors. But I leaders. But I'm telling you, if your faith's in anything other than Jesus, you're finished. There are people all across this great nation and across this great state who've tried church, but they haven't found Jesus. There are many who've 
come to church and being involved in church and had their faith in the church or leaders and they've been let down because people cannot be God to people. But God's saying this to us in this room. Trust me. Listen to me. Let me advise you and let me take you where I've called you to go. I've had this picture and it's a kind of weird picture, but it's a picture of a bride in her bride dress, in her wedding dress. And she's wearing high heels. Now that's not weird because that's kind of how it happens when you get married, I believe. I haven't been married for 25 years. I remember my wife had high heels. But please hear this without trying to be weird about it. I feel like the Lord's saying what I've called us to, what He's called us to going forward, it requires a shoe change. What He's called us to will not be able to be done with high heels on. We've got to shift those shoes to all-terrain shoes. There's ground to take. There's new places to walk. And with high heels, you'll not be able to walk. And there's something about being the attractive one. And there's attractiveness about high heels. And, and I feel like the Lord's saying, you're not called to be attractive. You're called to do the job I've called you to do. Now, I don't know what that means for you. But I do feel there's some new shoes that He wants to put on us today in order to take the ground He's called. You cannot take the ground He has for us with the same shoes, the high heels that attract, but they're not going to get the job done. We have all-terrain shoes with this beautiful bride, this wedding dress. Does that make sense? See, we are about God's purpose and plan. That's what we're about, right? It's about God's purpose, God's plan. I said last night that dream that one guy had and the prophetic word, and he came back and he said, we've got to get back to the Word of God. Let me tell you, the Word of God reveals the purpose and plan of God. And can I just say this? If you want to walk in, the, in God's purpose, please hear this. You have to stick to God's plan. You can't be about God's purpose and our plans. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the purpose of God that prevails, is what the Word of God says. Right? And so we want to be about the purpose and plan of God. And can I say to you this morning, the only one who can take you out of the will of God. Are you ready? You are the only one who can take you out of the will of God. Not the devil, not your leaders, not the people. You are the only one who can take you out of the will, the will of God. And so God's word reveals God's plan. So everything we're about, we've got to keep going back to saying, is this God's plan and purpose in his word? The prophecies and the promises and all, they've got to be linked to God's purpose. Because that's what matters most. We're about God's purpose, God's plan. I've said this before. I think this COVID crazy season has forced the church to come back to the things that really matter. God's reclaimed His church. I've said, I don't believe it's the, the self-indulgent culture out there that affects what God wants to do. It's the self-reliant culture of the church that gets in the way of what God wants to do. So God's reclaimed His church. He's reset us. And I know there's a freaky word, and we can't use the word reset. No, the church needed a reset globally, and it seems like we've been given an opportunity to reset, to come back to what really matters. We're so focused at times, as I said, on doing church, we forgot to actually be the church. And God allowed us for a moment to come back to being the church. I believe there's a refocus. Many of us in this room would still probably ask, what is God's will for my life? And I want to say that's a great question, but it's the wrong question. When you ask, what is God's will for my life? What you're saying is, how does God fit into what I'm about? The question has to be again, what is God's will and how do I fit into that? 
local leaders, pastors this morning, leaders and leader local church, don't ask what is God's will for your local church. Because I can guarantee if you're asking that question, you'll find a will, someone's will, people's will, your culture's will, America's will, or someone's will for the church. We should be asking, what is God's will, the Word of God? How does our church fit into what God's doing? This team that I'm privileged to lead, I've gone back to that question, not saying, what is God's will for NCMI? It's what is God's will, and how does New Covenant Ministries International fit into the will of God? Because we want to be about the plans and purposes of God. There's a refocus. There's a relining our hearts and repositioning us for where He wants us to be. One of my biggest irritations in Scripture, four books, the book of Jonah. I've shared this. I don't want to get stuck there. It irri- it's the most irritating book in the Bible. If there was a, bi- a book I could delete, it would be that one. It's four, script, four, verse, four chapters that have challenged me to the core of my being on a daily basis. Four simple chapters of a man and a mission and a God who's determined to use that man to serve his purpose and fulfill a mission. And it says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against us. But Jonah ran away. And for a chapter and a half, Jonah is running from God. Chapter 3, verse 1, The word of the Lord came a second time, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against us. God did not change His plan, His will, His way. He changed His person, His messenger, to come right to the plan and purpose. Are you there? I'm so irritated. Why did God do that? Because God, interesting, how His issue was Nineveh, then His issue was Jonah. And yet He sought Jonah out so He could reach Nineveh. God's sorting His church out so He can reach the people He's called us to reach. And so here's why I want to say the biggest revelation for me in this crazy season is simply this. We are God's mission while we are on God's mission. And this gives you and I grace to understand a little more of the craziness we go through in the local church. As a leader in the church, I'm far more gracious if I can understand that God is as committed to dealing with us as He is to using us to reach others. And He's not short-circuiting one. There's many of us, including me, are all about mission. I'm a mission guy. Give me a mission. I want to die for something that matters. But what I've realized, God is working on us while He's working through us. And He's not committed to either. He's committed to both. And He will not short-circuit. We are His mission while we're on His mission. He's working on us while He works through us. So don't get dismayed when He's working on us. And here we go again. And why do we? Because God's bringing us to a place of maturity so Jesus can come back for a bride who's ready for Him. So I've listened to people say, oh, well, we've learned a lot of lessons through COVID. And thank God we don't have to go there. Now I'm ready. And we're out of that season. No, we're not. You will always be worked on while God works through you. And He's committed to both. So don't get irritated in the mix of both. He's working on us. (laughs) while He's working through us. I believe in this season, God's bringing a greater revelation of Jesus because God wants us to better represent Jesus because we can see who Jesus really is. And so there does seem to be an emphasis again of who Jesus is, the foundation of all things being Jesus Christ. And one of the things I think He's done in this season, He's released us from things in order to release us into greater things. 
He's taken from in order to re release us into. 2020, I believe, was a season of release. I preached that, I prophesied that in January, and then the whole world shut down. And everyone said to me, how's that release thing looking? We all locked up. I was in Australia prophesying. Seriously, I was prophesying release, release. It's a season of release. And then suddenly I came back from Australia in February and the whole world shut down seven days later. My Australian mace texted me and said, like, hey, dude, how, how's that release? We all locked up. The whole world shut down. I was like, well, text back. I never claimed to be a prophet, so there you go. <laughs> but I'm just going to tell you, looking back over these last few years, listen, we have been released of things. Things that we were doing for the sake of doing them because the church does that and we do that and it's just what we know. God says, stop doing that. Now come back to what really matters. We have been released. So don't go back to what was if God's not in it. Let's stick to the plan and keep going forward in what God has for us. So we are about God's plan and God's purpose. Secondly, we need to be praying and prophesying. We are about prayer. Weakness leaning on omnipotence. When I moved to this great nation to plant a church in Denver, Colorado, and I lived in America before that, I met my wife in California many years ago. I was an elder there. Me and Steve were in eldership together 20-something years ago in Southern California. But we moved back to the U.S. to plant a church in Colorado. And uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. The pastors there told me we, prayer meetings don't work in America. People don't come to pray. They're too busy. And I almost believed that. And I began to buy into it. I need to see, look at the nation. If the church isn't praying, you want to see why we're in such a mess. Yeah. We believe a lie. We're too busy to pray. We're too busy to do. We've got to get busy with the right stuff. And so prayer is essential. God's not needing us to pray, but He's called us to pray. And not your little closet prayers. Together, the church should be crying out. We read the book of Acts, and we long for what's happening in the book of Acts. Don't we go, oh my gosh, Lord, bring that back. That was the baby church. That's how the church started 2,000 years later. Surely we could be, should be a little more grown up than that. But we're just desperate to get back to that. And we look at the power they had, and we look at the signs and the wonders, the miracles, and all the stuff that was happening, and we forget it's because the church was praying. Right through. But the church, not the apostles, not the whole chosen few, not the leaders, the pastors, the church was earnestly praying. Stuff happened when the church prayed. Peter and, and John were locked up in prison. Remember that? But the church was earnestly praying. And suddenly in their prayer meeting, there's a knock at the door. And Rhoda goes to open the door. And there's Peter and John. And she slams the door. And she comes back and says, well, stop praying. Peter and John are there. And they're like, why? He can't be. They're locked up. It must be the angels. They, they believed angels were there rather than the real people. <laughs> what blows my mind about that whole context is, you don't even have to have faith when you pray. Just pray and God will do stuff because they couldn't believe God had answered their prayer. <laughs> but things happen when God's people pray, friends. Amen. And we've got to come back to expecting of God's people to come together in the inconvenience of these times. And we must pray because God's called us to pray. This nation needs us to pray. God's called us to pray and prophesy. Prayer engages God. Can I say this? When you pray, you don't ask for more things from God. When you pray, you get to engage God. I don't want more stuff. I want more God. Amen. Prayer is a dialogue. It's not a monologue. Many of us pray daily, but we tell God what to do. That's not prayer. Prayer is what God telling us what to do. 
Think about how more effective we could be in this season if we did what He told us to do rather than we tell Him what He needs to keep doing. Prayer engages God. Prayer enables God's people. And prayer enlarges and extends the kingdom of God. Prayer is God speaking to us. It's communication. We don't need always prophets speaking on our behalf or God's behalf. We get to go to God to hear God for ourselves. Every individual in this room has the access to God, as do I. The same access I do as the preacher in this room. Same God. I'm not the mediator. There's one, and that's Jesus Christ. And too many churches go to their pastors or leaders to hear God. You go to God yourself. He's not your grandfather. He's your father, and he desires to speak to you. Francis Chan was telling a story of a pastor that fell morally in this great country and said how he was talking to a guy in India and the Indian pastor was devastated to hear about it. And he said, you know the thing about American church? I'm speaking as American, just hear this. He said, it's interesting as we watch you guys in America, how most American churchgoers rather go to the man of God, the preacher, to tell us what God's saying rather than go up the mountain themselves to hear God for themselves. And I thought that's an indictment. It's an old covenant text. We're living in the old covenant when we all have access to God ourselves. Don't go to people to hear God. Go to God to hear God for yourself. Is that okay? I know it sounds radical, but we need to. So we need to hear God. Can I just say, don't say God is silent when your Bible is closed. God speaks through His Word every time you read it. And can I say this, complaining about a silent God with a closed Bible is like complaining about no text messages when your telephone is turned off. Thirdly, we're about His power and His presence. Joel did a great job reminding us. We are about His power and His presence. The early church, if you read the book of Acts, in the early church, you see that the early church was Spirit-filled. Filled with the Spirit. Started. Jesus said, do nothing. Wait until you receive power. Because you cannot do this with just authority. You need my power. Don't even attempt this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And so the church, early church was birthed in power. Filled. And I want to just have a 120 upstairs having a moment together. The whole city was different because of what happened in that 120 gathering. The whole nations, the nations were impacted, the region, because God's about empowering us to go and do some stuff for God. And so they were spirit filled. But can they also say they were spirit moved? We, I know many guys who are, we want to be spirit filled, but we're going to move according to our own ability. No, no. Spirit filled, spirit moved, spirit sent. Can you imagine if we, because we need some churches to be planted. I said last night, I'm going to say it again. But can you imagine if we listen to God and do it rather than pick a handful of people we think you should go. You look like the, the candidate. We, we don't like you in this church, so we're going to move you out. We send our best. We send our best. Okay, we claim you the best. Meanwhile, you're the pain in our neck. We need you to go. Can we back you in a plant? I'm serious. We plant churches all over the world. But let me just tell you this. Church planting should be far more keeping in step with the Spirit than looking for a strategy of where should we go. Like I've been to church planting. We do church planters training all over. 45 years of church planting all over. And not wow is us. I've never heard someone preach on the Holy Spirit's role in church planting. 
We've got strategies. You called. You love each other. Have a great marriage. Be strong together. All this stuff. This is what you're going to face. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to believe. This is how you set up your bylaws. We train and equip. But where's the role of the Holy Spirit? He is so crucial in planting churches. Speaking. Opening doors. Connecting us with. Keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Spirit filled. Spirit moved. Spirit sent. And can I say the early church was spirit led. We honor leadership, but we better realize that there's a leadership that needs to be led by the Holy Spirit. John Calvin said, there is no worse screen to block out the Spirit than confidence in your own intelligence. Just to remind you, we don't need to activate the Holy Spirit. We don't need to invite Him. We simply need to honor Him. Others go, oh, we need to activate Him. Come on, I'm going to activate the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you about the Holy Spirit. He's God. He doesn't need activating from hum- humans. Amen. Good. He doesn't need to be invited. Just so you know, He's here, not looking for an invitation. He's God. He's here. What He needs is to be acknowledged and honored. That's when He can honor and that's when He can move and do what He's called to do. Fourthly, we're about pioneering and pressing on. Don't get quiet, Texans. You guys are pioneers. You've been called to pioneer, not just we've done this. No, we keep doing this. Steve got up and said, the fact you're still alive means God's not done yet. He's not done yet. And it's not about age. It's about simply obeying Him and keeping in step with Him. We've heard this this morning. We're about pioneering and pressing on. Can't live it. There's no future in our past. Don't hanker for what was. Press on into the seasons God has for us and break new ground is what we call it. You hear what I've realized is a lot of churches get into maintenance and manager, managing mode. And can I just say, elders, whatever your take is, you're not called to manage the church. We're not looking for managers to lead God's people. Managers are good at managing. Steve did a great job talking about Matthew 25, you wicked and lazy servant. That was a manager. The one with one talent managed that talent really well. Why? Because he dug a hole, stuck it in there, waited, and when the money, he gave back. A good manager gives back what they were given. We would say, well done. That's awesome. At least you didn't lose it. You managed well. You just moved it around and kept it going, and I'm so happy that I didn't lose it. He said, you wicked and lazy. Why? Because you managed it. You didn't multiply it. <laughs> so we're not looking for managers who can manage people we're looking for leaders who are activate and take people and lead people and go where God's called and, ma- and so when you get into manage mode and maintenance mode let me just tell you what happens the upkeep of the church distracts us from advancing the kingdom of God when we maintain and manage look at this church membership becomes a right rather than a responsibility when we maintain and manage Worship becomes our weekly buzz rather than a catalyst for mission. Your mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship's not the thing we do to feel good and carry on. Worship is the very catalyst for us to go. The whole world doesn't worship God. So we've got a mission to get out there and help the world see the God who we worship. When we maintain and manage... Please hear this. Our decisions become safe and domesticated rather than bold, and I'm going to use this word, and gutsy. You know, safe, be safe. That's probably the most 
spoken words since this crazy season we've been through. And I get it. We, I've lost a family member through COVID. I'm just going to tell you, it's not a joke. I'm not getting into the politics. It's no joke. One of my, my uncle, my, my dad's brother, his only brother, died of COVID. Say what you want. He died. It wasn't a joke. He died. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just saying you can say politics and stupid. and I'm just telling you it's real. I've had COVID a couple of times. It was no joke for me. There's no way there's, that, it, that was made in a lab. I'm just saying that. Let's move on. I've just lost. Sorry, I've offended everyone listening. But it, there's, yeah, anyway, we'll move along. But, but I'm just going to say this. So I get the thing of being safety. But you're going to struggle to find scripture saying be safe. You're going you're to find very few scriptures that command us to be safe. What you're going to find is be courageous. Be strong and courageous. Nowhere does it say be safe. Yet be safe has become the very thing we're all holding on to. Because this season has caused us to become restricted. The devil's had his way. And God's saying shake it off. It's time to take some ground. When we manage and maintain, our prayers become fleshy rather than kingdom focused. When we manage and maintain, church leaders become religious service providers rather than mission mobilizers. Preaching becomes a form of entertainment rather than a battle cry. Discipleship becomes a sanctified version of self-help rather than recruitment and training to serve on the front lines. The Bible becomes stimulus for self-exploration rather than a summons to join God's global purpose. And for me, the most tragic of all this is Jesus becomes a mild means of self-fulfillment rather than a conquering king who summons us to serve in his service. Needless to say, maintenance and managing is the end of the church if we carry on doing it that way. And so what I've realized is that fear rises in the absence of faith. And I, I get the season we've been in, but I want to tell you this. God's calling us to be a people of faith. Expansion, growth, impact, increase. That's what He's called us to. And faith is more than just bare belief. Faith is do. I believe this season we're in, and I do believe it's a global thing, and certainly in our togetherness, in NCMI ranks, I feel God say, I don't want people who just have faith to believe. I want people who have faith to obey. It's one thing to believe. It's another thing to obey. Our faith has to move from believing to obeying. Are you there, friends? I believe fruit requires faith. I believe it's a season to step up. Now, Joel did a great job reminding us, you don't do this in your own strength. So we're not talking about flesh here, but we are talking about a response. Faith to step up. Can I say faith to step in? Faith to step through. Faith to step out. It's interesting if you read the scripture, when we exercise biblical faith, God does incredible things. Consider Joshua commanded the sun to stand still so Israel could defeat the Amorites in Joshua 10. King Hezekiah was told that he would die, Isaiah 38. He cries out to God and God added 15 years to his life. Abraham was told to sacrifice his son, Isaac, 
who was the son of promise. He obeyed by faith and God spared Isaac, providing a ram in his place. 85-year-old Caleb believed God for, a power for, uh, for the power to defeat a mountain infested with giants. Joshua 14, God gave him that mountain. A teenage boy named David believed God for the power to defeat a giant named Goliath. God gave him that victory. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed God to keep them from the power of a pagan king in a fiery furnace. Daniel chapter 3. God met them in the furnace and protected them in that furnace. Let's read the scriptures together. Are you with me? Okay. Still awake. I realize I had the graveyard shift, so I'm about to, I'm digging the grave here, but... Just go with me, and I'm going to ask him to put it up, because I want to read a portion of Scripture. A lot of, I'll just let the Word of God speak to you. Make a few com comments around this, and then we're done. But please don't write off. And, and my prayer this morning, early this morning, was, Lord, if I, because I've got a lot of things I came to preach. These poor guys, I sent them a whole lot of stuff, and I didn't get to any of it. That's the normal thing. So Tim just so it's like, don't put anything up. Just Tyron's not going to go there. So I'm going to try to go here, okay? But I want to read the Bible, and I want to tell you this. The Bible is more powerful than what I can say or any other preacher can Amen. say. But the danger in it is that I don't want to be a cheerleader today and cheer you on. Because flesh will always give birth to flesh, as we heard. I don't want to be a cheerleader. Come on, we can do this. I want God, under His inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to speak to us as individuals, including me as the preacher, and stir my faith. If that could happen then, then God, that can happen now. Amen. And God, I need to be activating some of that faith and stepping out and say, enough dreaming, time to walk. Amen. Some steps, activate. There's stuff God's put on the hearts of these people. It is from God. Stop questioning because the devil wants you to question it. It's from God and God says, it's now the time. Amen. And I'm not saying go do your thing. Go do His thing in the thing He's called you to do. <laughs> Young and old, all of us are called to live by faith. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Please read with me and I'm going to... Thank you very much. Hebrews 10 verse 19. Just let the Word of God speak to you. Christ's sacrifice once for all is what it's talking about here. Verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together. Interesting how everything in our church culture and the culture has done away with meeting together. We don't need to meet together because we can just do it online. And I'm not here to have a go, but I can see us playing into the very thing we weren't. I can show you biblically we should be catching up and connecting more than we ever have because the day is approaching. Amen. Yet the devil's come along and the church is bought into this convenient Christianity. I can sit in my pajamas on a Sunday morning, turn on the television or whatever we look at. Like, I don't like that. Fast forward that. Get to the point. No, I don't like that. Let me go find another congregation that blesses my soul. 
I'm just telling you, friends, there's a danger, a big danger. No one wanted to be a TV evangelist. Now we are all TV evangelists. And the danger is you can find what you want to hear and not hear what God's trying to tell us. Be careful who you're listening to, friend. Honestly, huh? the word is the word, but what's behind what they're doing? So you can lay in bed and go, oh, I don't want to do that. Actually, I can watch that later. We're going to go out for a date together. We're going to go as a family. And, and we got every reason. You never end up watching that. You're not part of a community. Stop saying you are. <laughs> now, we were forced for a moment to not be able to meet. But that moment left long ago. So oh, I don't need to be with God's people. My friend, you do. Steve said, how can a thumb or the liver? I love that one. Walking on a sign. That's a great picture. <laughs> Disgusting, but great. But it's the same thing. How can we function if you're not here? I need the toe back here. Come back. Or go somewhere, but don't tell me you're online church. <laughs> I realize that we shake it. Oh, it's the new way. It's not a new way. Don't neglect the gathering of the saints. I must move on because I'm going to get in trouble. Let us not give up meeting together. You're not obeying the leaders. They don't need you to show up so we can pay the bills. That, that's out the door. That, the bills come because God has to be provided. And thank you for your, those who give. Keep giving. But you don't give to the church. You give to God and God has a way of... Uh, uh, yeah. But in saying that, the elders don't need you here so they can do something. God's called the church to be together. And there is this official gathering and this interaction there, and we've just got to not lose relationship or think we don't need it. How many people said, I don't need church? Literally, after COVID, pastors began to call people and say, okay, we're gathering, and they literally said, I don't think we need church. We've realized we can do church. For a year, we had no church. We don't actually need church. Isn't there something wrong? We don't need church. No, no, you need to be the church. Amen. Not need church. We need to be the church. What kind of family can I have if we never connect? Well, I'm married. Yeah, that's cool. But doesn't mean that I have a great marriage because I'm married. My family life. Oh, I've got kids. Well, I never see them. But hey, we're a family. There's no re You are by name, but not by reality. Now, no, I'm, anyway, this is not what I came to preach. But it's amazing how it's in there. Let us consider how we may spur one another toward. Let us not give up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing, that habit's got greater. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Go, go to verse 35, please, for time's sake. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Amen. Now faith, chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Martin Luther said, faith is permitting ourselves to be seized by the things we do not see. To be seized by the things we do not see. How many of us have said, if I see it, I'll believe it. That's awesome, but that's not faith. 
I've got to see it to believe it. Well, that's cool, but that's immaturity. People of faith are, I'm being sure of what I heard. You haven't kissed your brains goodbye. It's not like you're living in zombie land. That's not, you don't get saved and give your brain away. That's not, but it's this conviction, this understanding. Abraham believed and he never saw the full root, but he believed. And look at, we living in the, what he saw. If he wasn't faithful, we would not be walking in. Does it make sense? Being sure. Are you still sure? Of what you hope for. And certain of what you cannot see. Verse 2. This is what the ancients were commended for. They were commended not for what they did. But for their faith. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commanded as a righteous man, uh, sorry, commanded as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not exercise, uh, sorry, <laughs> did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commanded as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. By faith, Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was, look at this, looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't have a moment of it. They didn't just believe. They lived it till they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, listen please, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, 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 God is not ashamed to be called their God. For He has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises 
was about to sacrifice the one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that you offspring, your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned, look at this, that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because why? He was looking for his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, that guy, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two. Friends, this is radical stuff. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. You know, I was, just to pause for a minute, I, I was in uh, Scotland, Edinburgh. Anyone been there? Yes, sir. And uh, I was meeting with a pastor and we were sitting, the sun was shining, which was a miracle for Scotland apparently. So we went outside and we were having lunch together, sitting on this kind of bunch of like rocks and stones and cement. And, and I was like, this is a, a, a monument. What is this? Like everyone's sitting there having lunch and I'm sitting there. And he goes, oh, this is the monument where King, well, forgive me if I don't know the full details, the, the King of Scotland declared in that place, that he's the head of the church. And he did it in front of all these people. And one by one, he made the people acknowledge him as the head of the church. And many refused. And so what happens is a bunch of names on this monument. I said, who are they? He said, those are the people that refused to call the king of Scotland the head of the church. And he beheaded them in front of their families, one by one, until they would acknowledge. And many said, cut my head off. I refuse 
to call any king the head of the church, there's only one being Jesus Christ. And he said, well, put their head on the block, cut it off. Next, in front of their families. And there were hundreds of names of men who put their head on the block and said, I'd rather have my head cut off than play the game of putting some king of this country as the head of the church. Faith. Conviction. I'm not saying we've got to do that, but I'm saying I thought in, while I'm eating my lunch, I suddenly couldn't eat anymore. And, so, and I, I just said as a pastor, I wonder how many pastors would do that, let alone people. Most pastors would be, yeah, whatever you want me to say, sure, just let me get on with my call. They're like, forget it. Cut my head off. I'll never acknowledge a man to take the place of the king. And that's what we're reading here. These guys were cut in half, sawed into. They were willing. Now, this can sound gory and exciting for those of us who like Braveheart stuff and others are like free. But I'm just trying to read and say, friends, it's faith. These guys were named for what they, because of their faith, and they stood the test of time. Verse 38, it says, The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Look at this. Yet none of them received what they had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So when you read Hebrews 11, it gives us this long list of heroes of the faith. Men and women who are examples to us of authentic faith and what it looks like. If you study this, you'll see very quickly that faith is always more than simply bare belief. It activates. It's active. It does stuff. It's a verb. It's a doing. And I'm not saying go do your thing. I'm saying respond and have faith to believe and faith to obey. Faith understands. We see that in verse 3. Faith understands. Faith opens up our understanding. I do believe when we understand, when we're walking in faith, the stuff going on, God helps us understand more. Faith offers. Offers. I don't want to miss it, but what are you saying? Offers. That's what you say. Faith offers. It says, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain. I'm not mocking. I just don't want you to miss what I'm saying. There's some offering needed, and it's in faith. True faith will lead you to make sacrifices and deny yourself and costly commitment. That's what faith does. It's not, oh, we need another church. We need people to go. We need people to step up. We're simply living by faith, saying we're willing to do what it takes. My life is yours, Lord. My family belongs to you. I pledge my life, my family, for the gospel. It's worth it if Steve's picture of the rope and the little red dot at the end, then it's worth it taking what we've got here on earth and saying, all for you, Lord. Faith builds. Now this is a big one. Noah built an ark. You've got to understand the context. That was incredible to do in a context he was in. You've got a lovely lake here, Lake Travis. My goodness, it's a beautiful lake. And I can, it's just running out of water, but it's beautiful and but we would say, yeah, I know what an ark is. It's a boat. Can you imagine in their day? They were in the desert, okay? There's no water. And he's building a, a, an ark. And so people would come and say, so what are you doing? He said, I'm building an ark. They're like, well, what's an ark? What's a boat? Well, what's a boat? It's something that floats on water. Well, what's water? Like, a, 
You're with me. It's not like, oh, that's obvious. He did something in faith. He was mocked by the people around him. His own family ridiculed him, but he obeyed, not knowing what just heard God. And thank God, I still believe, if he didn't do that, none of us would be here today. He built. Faith initiates projects that will be... a a means of advancing God's purpose. There are people in this room who are business types. It's not to fill your pockets. It's okay to be rich. I don't believe God wants you to be poor, just so you know. But I do want to say that God will activate things in you that you can put in place that will serve the purposes of God and fill your pockets. Initiating projects and stuff that would be helpful. Thinking beyond ourselves. Just doing what we've been called. We might not even see the fulfillment, but we could play a role in it. I go back to those who've gone before me, those who are still alive. Like my dad and the guys who've started this and pioneered this, and they just obey God. And I say, Dad, you guys were brilliant. Wow, looking back, gee, brilliant. Well done, man. And he's like, dude, seriously? Ah, thank you for that. We had no idea what we did. We heard God and did what He told us to. And we look back going, brilliant. They look back going, but God. But God, using people who just said yes, even though it doesn't make sense. This season, there's some not making sense God's asking of us. I really believe. And it's to set up generations to come so we can get the gospel to the world and Jesus can come back. Faith that obeys. It says, by faith, Abraham called to go to a place he didn't know where he was going. I mean, friends, that's not a good call. Like everyone wants it. I want to know if I go, if I go do, what's the guarantee? What's the promise? Who's waiting for me? What's going to be there for me? What's in it for me? Am I going to be welcome? He went somewhere not knowing where he was going. That does not sound like good leadership. That sounds like everyday leadership. I've just learned like in leadership, just pretend you know what you're doing and people will follow you. Forgive me, but just have conviction. I'm sorry, that's a bad truth, but... But he literally wasn't told where to go. He just was told, go. Can you imagine convincing your family? I mean, if you're married, hey, babe, uh, we need to get stuff sorted out. Okay, cool. Where are we going? I actually don't know. Now, Steve had five years to prepare, but he had five years. God did tell him where to go eventually. But for me to just say, hey, babe, we get packed. We're going. Where are we going? I don't know. We're just going. God said, go. How many of you go, yeah, that's a good idea. We back that. Most pastors be, you can't go anywhere till you know what the next step is. And God's like, take this step and I'll show you the next one. We want it all mapped out in our Google. How many steps does it take me to walk over there and drive over there? And how many miles and how long will it take? It's awesome, but that's not how God rolls. I mean, you know, most times, I know that people say, oh, well, we've got to plan it first, right? And I get planning, but God's not looking for plans. He's looking for obedience. I, I just, and maybe I just am dumb enough to listen to Him, but I, we've relocated nations, and not because we're heroes. We heard God. Never even thought what it would look like. I didn't even think that. We just left. We left everything we knew in Australia to move to a state, a city called Denver, Colorado. We knew not a person, never been there before. God said, go there. I remember saying to Nicole, babe, do you think you want to go see Denver? She's California. In those days, everyone stayed in California. It was still awesome, and no one left California. <laughs> the first time I met her, she had, uh, we, when I got married, she'd been on an airplane once, and that was to New York once. She had never been out of California, because why would you leave California? In our first year of marriage, I think she had been to eight countries, because we got on. And, but the point being is I said to Nicole, hey, babe, you know, God confirmed and spoke. And so we're like, okay, we're going to move to Denver. We have to. 
So I remember saying to her, do you want to go have a look at Denver before we move there? Like, and she was like, well, if I don't like it, are we still moving there? By the grace of God, I said, well, God spoke, so yeah. I don't even know if I like it because I've never been there either. And thank God she's very practical and saved me money by saying, well, it doesn't matter. I don't have to see it. And we were so happy when we got there how beautiful it is. But it's not like, okay, what's going to happen when we get there? And how are we going to come up? I mean, I just maybe I'm too dumb or too stupid to think those things. And then, yeah, can I just be honest? Very vulnerable. And I know people are watching. Turn off for a minute. You know, I lead NCMI. Okay, that's a big deal. Like, just so you know, and Steve explained, you try to re- lead people that don't want to be led, who like to lead everything. <laughs> but here's the thing. If someone said to me, Tyron, because some people don't like me, and I'm surprised by that. I don't know why. I really don't. But it's just my position I'm claiming. And so people were wanting me to fail in things. And someone said to me, can you imagine if you don't pull this church plan off, how bad that will look for you and NCMI? And I thought, I actually never thought of that. Thank you very much. (laughs) Now there's extra pressure. Like I didn't think, if this doesn't work, how's it going to look? I just heard God and we move. But God's been incredibly faithful in it. Because God is about what He's doing and He just wants us to come along with it. I'm not saying go be silly, but I am saying some of us are waiting for the writing on the wall, the red carpet to be laid out, the people to, the Macedonian call, come to us, we need you. God's saying, do what I've told you to do. Does it sound all right? Am I doing something wrong? <clears throat> all right. Faith obeys. Faith enables. Faith longs. It's a, it's a forward-looking grace. We keep our mind fixed on eternity. Faith does it. Faith blesses. Faith worships. So let me land with this and say, what did all these people have in common? I've looked at this text a lot, not just what it does. Why did they all respond like they did? And I believe they all had this in common. Number one, they lived with purpose. All these people did all different things, but they all lived with purpose. See, when you lose your purpose, you will never live in faith. You're not called to live by faith if you're not living with purpose. I want to say this, hold tightly to His calling but lightly to the expression of it. Keep your call fresh in your mind as you face challenges every day and responsibility. Not just leaders of the church, any person in this room who's living in the call of God, there is purpose. Keep the purpose of God in front of you every single day. It gives you courage and confidence to continue in the face of opposition. There's so many things that undermine our calling. And I want to just say this, live with purpose. These guys seem to do that and they finish what they were called to. When we undermine His calling, we lose our way. When we undermine the purpose of God. God's in the detail but He's in the everyday stuff too. Somehow we live for the big moments and the high tops and the mountain tops. But He's in the valleys, the same God, the same call. We've got to stay there. These guys never lost their way through it all. Why? Because they lived with purpose. Do you still carry purpose today? Honestly. Not the church's purpose. God's purpose for you as an individual here today. Secondly, they lived with God's promise. 
See, when God makes a promise, please hear this, it's guaranteed. It's not going to be how you thought. I've never had God's promise work out the way I intended. It's never been what I thought, but it's always been God's promise, His faith. And I, I, I just want to tell you, if God didn't say it, then it's not a promise from God. If a prophet told you what God told you to hear, I'm just telling you, you better be in the Bible, then God said it. I'm not mocking prophets. I just think that most of us are mad at God by what a prophet said when God didn't say it. And I love prophets, we have them, but they're not God's go-between. That's old covenant. I get to go. A prophet today should confirm what God's saying, not tell me what God's trying to tell me. And if they are trying to tell me what God's, then I must wait on it, not go and say God told me. And if it's not linked to God's purpose, it's not God's promise. But I want to say, live with the promises of God. These guys seem to live every day with the promise of God. And that, the way to live with that is to feast on the Scriptures. Not listen to your podcasts and read more books. And I'm not anti-books, but this country is the most book-orientated country in the world. And I'm, I'm not leaders or readers, and I understand that. And I, I get all that, please. But don't sideline the Word of God for someone's interpretation for the Word of God. Let the Word of God. That's why we read Hebrews 11, not John Maxwell's book. And I'm not anti-John Maxwell. I just say that all the time. To you. Anyone. Don't read my book. Read the Bible and learn from other people. But don't learn from other people and find it in Scripture. Find what God's saying. So feast on Scriptures, daily food of promise. Feed your faith and your fears will starve to death. Focus on the prophetic words God's spoken over you. God doesn't need reminding. I've heard God say, take your prophecies and remind God. Can I just tell you, God doesn't need reminding. If God needs reminding, He's no longer God because He doesn't forget. What we're saying is we need to remind God of what we need to be reminded of by saying, God, please, you said. How many of you still got unfulfilled prophetic words? In, in it? Just put your hand up, please. What are you doing with them? Put them on the side burner or are you asking God, please, you said. We don't know what it looks like, but I'm trusting. I'm, I'm living by your promise rather than the stuff people are telling me or the things I'm seeing. Focus on the prophetic words. Thirdly, they lived prophetically. Now prophetic is often prophecy and we can mix the... We, we so limit prophecy to the gift of the prophet. But prophetic people, it's a lifestyle. It's not an event. We're called to live prophetically. And prof prophetically, in my perspective, is simply see the future, prepare for the future, become the future. Yeah. We're supposed to see it, prepare, and become. That's what I want to say to us. They lived prophetically. They weren't past-focused or now-focused. It was future-focused. Got to keep living there. Keep prophetic, friends. Keep prophetic. Trust God, even through all the crazy seasons. Trust God. Fourthly, they lived in partnership with God. I love the community life. I love community. I love we put together. I love that. But there's a bigger picture to what we call to. We live with partnership with God. And when Nicole and I got married 25 years ago, I was in ministry and I met her in the local church. I'd never been married before. And she was one of the sheep there. I didn't take advantage as a shepherd, but... But I did it honorably. But I remember I'm on team. I was traveling and I was ministering. And I said, 
There's a couple that are really good at marriage. They've been married for like a hundred years. I'm not quite, but a lot. And they now are still with their walkers. They're old, but they still hold each other's hands. I'm like, this would be the perfect couple to talk to Nicole about marrying me. <laughs> Serious. Forgive my ignorance. Ladies, don't hate me. That was my ignorance. So we sat down at a table in Southern California. It was the soup plantation that was still there. I'm not sure if it is still there, but... And uh, we sat there and I said, Leon and Pat, would you please tell Nicole what it's going to be like and what she needs to do? Forgive me. Forgive me. That's, I'll be there, but talk to her. And so they sat there and they said this. They looked at Nicole and they said, you're getting married because you're selfish. They looked at me and they said, you're getting married because you're selfish. And based on that, this marriage cannot work. I'm going to say that's not what we agreed to talk about. I, you get behind him, follow him. Do No, I'm just joking. So, so I was like, he said, the reason, Tyron, you're getting married is so what you can get from Nicole. And Nicole, you're getting married for what you can get from Tyron. And based on that, this marriage can't work. The only way a marriage can work is you go in saying, what can I give? And when you both have that attitude, the marriage can work. I want to tell you, if that's true for marriage, it's true for any partnership in the kingdom. And I want to tell you, when it comes to God, God is all in. God's not holding out. He is bringing His A-game every day. Are you all in with your partnership with Him? In other words, not God, what have you got for me? Well, God, what can I give to you? And these people lived with this partnership. The stuff they faced on earth helped them understand, I can walk through this because I'm partnering with God. I'm telling you this morning, we are partnering with God. It gives you clarity and ability to stay the course because it's not for people. It's not for the region. You don't move to a region for the region. You don't plant a church for the people. You go because God said go and God's with you. That's your reason. He's your guarantee. He's your go-to. Not the people, not the results. God. Number whatever, what's my next point? I don't know, four, five. They lived in God's provision. You know the American thing where God guides, God provides? Like I don't like that statement, but it's very true. Where God guides, God provides. Again, because my wife's here, I've got to say, no, I won't. When we got married, part of, no, I could say anything, she knows, but you know, when we got married, um, part of our, like, we finally agreed to marry after that counseling session and <laughs> deliverance for a few weeks, and then we got married. But um, a lot of Nicole's family, I mean, she's got her mother, they got, her mother's got 11 brothers and sisters. I mean, this is one massive family. I mean, there's like a four of us and a hundred million of them. And so I had to invite a lot of Christian friends and pastor friends to be part of this to make up for my family. Because anyway, so. We had this wonderful wedding. It was an amazing wedding. Listen, it was awesome. And then um, we had our banquet, you know, the food reception. And I, I just wanted to go to Hawaii for our honeymoon and be married. And uh, my friends knew that. And so they're all preachers. So they were in speeches. They were all going to give a three-point sermon, an illustration, a scripture. And I'm just sitting there going, and so eventually I'm going to shut this thing down. And then my mother who happens to be a preacher, also stands up and walks towards the microphone. I'm thinking, oh dear, here we go. I can't shut her down. It's my mother. I need to honor her. So she gets up and she says, my reading this morning was Genesis 22. You've got to understand, most of Nicole's family is not saved. 
And I'm thinking, I know that story. This is not going to go down well. And so she says, my reading this morning was Genesis 22, when Abraham put his son on the altar. I'm thinking. <laughs> and she says, I'm not, not that I'm putting Tyron on the altar. I'm like, thank you, Lord. I don't even think her, mother, her parents know what we're talking about. Here. And then she said this, but she looked at Nicole and she said, I feel like God's saying this. The story was that Abraham took his son to the place God told him to do, and he on that mountain did what God told him to do. And he said that God's provision was there because of his obedience. And she, said, she looked at us and she said, I believe this for you too, that on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided for you all the days of your life. And I want to tell you that 25 years in, God hasn't provided everywhere all the time. And I'll tell you why. It's because we haven't always been on his mountain doing what he's told us to do. But I can tell you this as a testimony from God. On His mountain, doing what He's told us, He's always provided a ram in the thicket. And the promise for us is this. Wherever you go, wherever God guides you, God will provide. If you're somewhere you're not supposed to be, don't expect God to provide. But if you're where He's called you to go, and you're doing what He's told you to do, His guarantee is, I will provide on my mountain for you. We can trust God. Number whatever the next one, five or six, they lived as pioneers. They lived as pioneers. All of these, it says in verse 13, were still living by faith when they die. They lived as pioneers. You're a pioneer. We're pioneers. You don't have to go and pioneer a ministry. Just keep moving. Blessed are those, Psalm 84, blessed are those whose strength is in you, who've set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of, uh, a place of springs. You've got to keep passing through and bringing life where you go. You've got to keep pioneering. We call to pioneer. They lived with the privilege. Number seven, they lived with the privilege. They lived with the privilege. This is a privilege. But can I also say, lastly, they paid the price. They paid the price. They lived with a privilege and they paid the price. They all had these things. And there's more, I'm sure, to this. But I've been studying this because I've been so challenged by not just what they did. What was the thing that kept them all living in the thing? It's some of these things. And if we can utilize them for ourselves and say, that's what they did. Why can't we not? Why don't we live in what God has? There's a privilege and there's a price. And I land with this, because some of you are not going to like this, but please hear my heart. If everything to you is a price, you're probably in danger of being a settler. <laughs> you know, so my wife is a pioneer, and I believe I'm a pioneer. But there have been moments in our ministry and life where the price for my wife has, has at times caused her to say, I'm not sure we can keep doing this. And as a man, my job, and just my, can I just say my personality, I'm just being very honest, is I see the half full glass. Like you cannot lead God's people if you only see empty glass. You just, I just don't know how you do that because everything is a disaster Every person is unhappy and happy. And I, I, you just can't live with the depression. I'm just saying, I don't know how people can be visionaries yeah. 
and live with a half-empty glass. You just in God have to see the good. Otherwise you're done. And so Nicole always sees the good. She has gone with me. We've relocated. We've left all the... I mean, she's the most incredible wife. But there have been times in our lives and in our ministry where things have been difficult, not between us, but in our ministry. People have come against us. Now, I remember at times going to her. Like, I traveled the world. I was so desperate just to get home. I was getting beat up by all these people around me, by ministry. I'm just telling you. And I came home just to love and be loved by my wife. And my wife was not interested. And she's like, you out there doing this and I'm like taking care of our kids and their babies and you live in the dream. I'm like, whoa, what? You have no idea what's going on out there. I just need some love. She's like, I'm not. And you know what I realized? This wonderful wife of mine needed me because I automatically got a privilege. That's my thing. What a privilege. I mean, we get to be chosen by God too. And she just said, stop. I need you once to acknowledge that there's a price. I was like, of course there's a price. And I, it was like something shifted in her mind to say, actually, Tyrone acknowledges there's a price. But you can't live in the price all the time. And so what I want to say is if you are a person who only sees the price, can I be honest, you've got to shift your focus to seeing the privilege again. If you are always thinking of what price you've paid, and there's people in this room who've moved countries. Now you say, yeah, we've come to America. America's great. Yeah, but it's no joke here. This is a nation that will teach you whether you truly are called or not. Let me just tell you. Americans know how to help you see who you really are. And I, I'm grateful for that. So, and I'm not saying they've paid a price, but they've left everything, right? And there is a price. But let me tell you, if you sit here and go, look what I've left, look where we've left. If you're looking back, you're in serious danger of losing what God's called you to. And you've got to find strength in where you're at and what God's doing here, not the stuff you've left. And that's what God said to Lot. Remember He said to Lot, Lot's wife, look back. And let me just tell you, when Lot's wife looked back, I think that was Star Wars on steroids. The blowing up. and I mean, I would want to look back and have a look at what's going on there. But she didn't look back to see what, she, what was going on. She longed for what she was leaving. And she turned into a pillar of salt. I'm just telling us this morning, or today, if you are one who always looks back longing for what you've left, you're in serious danger of being a settler. And you will not finish the race or walk in the finished work of what Jesus did. I want to say, well done for paying the price. Honestly, I don't say, thank you for the price you've paid, but you didn't do it for anyone else. You did it for God. See the privilege in the price. And those of us who only see the privilege, it's time at times to acknowledge, heck yeah, there's a price. We pay a price. These guys lived with the privilege and they paid the price. So if you're longing for what was, it's time to recognize what is and embrace what's still to come. Realizing it's all been done for God. Amen? Can we pray together? Is that cool? Let's stand together. Well done, friends. You've been incredibly patient with me and us. But I do trust that you're stirred, not by man and cheerleader led here, but by the Word of God to say, you know what, there's some ground to take in this season. There's a nowness to it. It's time to take off. It's time to take off the high heels. It's time to put on some all-terrain shoes. Not go and do something for God. Go and do what God's told you to do. Not do something and prove yourself. Just be obedient. It's not a faith to believe, it's a faith to obey.
Would you be bold enough this afternoon to just raise your hands? Can we all just raise our hands to heaven, not to me, to God, and just say, Father, I thank you for these incredible men and women in this room who are chosen by you to be here for such a time as this. And we're so grateful for not just the stories of those who've gone before us, but the Word of God that tells us stories of those who've gone before. Everything was written to teach us. So through faith and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And your Word encourages us today. So we trust you. We say yes to you, not to what people want or what the people have said, to you, God. We faith today to say, I believe and I'm willing to obey. I'm in partnership with you. There's a price, but there is a greater privilege. And may I see that today. Your provision, your protection, you guiding, you providing, you showing, you speaking, your voice, be the loudest voice. The enemy's voice to be silent. Those around us who don't see it to be quiet. But you, God, to be the voice that takes us where we're called to go. I pray for fruit, Lord. There's nothing about this weekend that, that, that you want more than fruitfulness. To receive, to multiply. 50, 60, 100 fold. 30, 60, 100 fold. So I pray for fruitfulness. Not man responding to man. Not people responding to man. People responding to God. Have your way, King Jesus, as we make much of you. Take this region and break new ground in this season. For the King and for the kingdom, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.